Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Lisa Ann Pinkerton to the show. From the newsroom to the boardroom, Lisa Ann has used her keen analytical skills to share technology stories with the world for over a decade. She is the founder and CEO of the award-winning Technica Communications, founder and chairwoman of the nonprofit Women in Cleantech and Sustainability, an international speaker and moderator, and documentary filmmaker. She was named a PR Executive of the Year by the American Business Awards in 2020, Female Entrepreneur of the Year for Advertising and Marketing by the Women in Business and the Professions World Awards in 2020, and a Woman of Influence by the Silicon Valley Business Journal in 2017. Lisa Ann, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Raj. Lisa Ann, where are you currently located? Um, currently, I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. And how's the weather in the Bay Area? Uh, you know, it's springtime. It's good. I mean, the <laughs> Bay Area weather doesn't change all that much. <laughs> well, I'm in Dallas, and today we're having Bay Area weather. I think it's 64 today. Oh, there you go. Good. It's nice to have a cool day, though. So, Lisa Ann, I like to open the show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Oh, man. Well, it depends on the audience, for sure. You know, some people find certain things more interesting than others. And um, I think for myself, um, what I think people do find interesting is that I got my start as an NPR reporter. Also, um, PBS uh, broadcast journalism. Uh, I did environmental science. And um, probably the most famous people I interviewed during my time were John McCain and Robert Kennedy Jr., and um, those were some really good good times at NPR, and uh, I learned a lot about media and and how to make a story compelling and how to read your audience. And uh, but at the same time, I recognized that there was a lot that um, these clean tech companies uh, needed in terms of media exposure and support, and they weren't getting it. And one story for me, even if it was from NPR, uh, wasn't going to change their world all that dramatically. They needed a lot of those stories. So that's why I, you know, evolved my career into uh, pl- public relations and then eventually founding Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability. So can you place us from a time perspective? When was this? So I was an, I was an environmental science reporter between 2001 and uh, I think the last report I did was at some, like, 2011, somewhere around there. So clean tech was in what, a very nascent stage, just being talked about? Where were we this journey? It was very early. Um, you know, people joke that I was, you know, clean tech before clean tech was cool. <laughs> and um, the, uh, like, I would cover uh, solar conferences and one of them came through Cleveland, which is where I was uh, doing most of my local reporting. And um, 
it was a very small conference, um, uh, probably more Birkenstock shoes than Oxford's. <laughs> and <laughs> a couple of, you know, solar ovens and, and things like this. So uh, it was very early, but people were very passionate and, and, and they were just starting to figure things out. And the economics were almost there to a place where um, it could go more mainstream. And also because I was in Cleveland, wind was a big deal. Um, I did a couple big stories on doing some offshore wind within Lake Erie and what all that would mean and how that would work. So I, I, I covered a lot of technology pieces anytime I could. But at the same time, you know, I would cover environmental pieces, things that could excite people uh, about nature, um, because our theory was if people have, feel inspired by nature, they're more app to want to protect it. So uh, one story was going down into a cave in northern Pennsylvania and covering how a group of people had taken it upon themselves to clean out the cave because it had been a big party spot for maybe 40, 50 years and it was just full of trash. And they were mapping the cave and, and, and finding really interesting stuff. So that was, you know, cool stuff like that was always um, really kept me going over those years. So staying on the theme of inspiration, what inspired you to start the Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability organization? And can you share with the audience your role at the organization? Oh, yeah. I'm the founder and chairwoman. And I founded the organization in 2011 after it was a hit of about two years since I had founded Technica Communications. And I was going to a lot of co-ed um, networking events. And uh, especially in Silicon Valley, there was a, the photovoltaic society and things like this. And um, what would happen, two things would happen. Number one, it would be me and five women in a room of 150 people, and we would all naturally gravitate to, towards each other. The second is that um, the men I would meet would assume that I was somebody's assistant or I was right out of college, but not that I was a business owner. And when I told them I was a business owner, they were like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. Tell me more. And I remember thinking, well, if I was a guy, this wouldn't be interesting at all. <laughs> at the same time, I was going to a lot of um, women entrepreneurship events because I wanted to learn how to be an entrepreneur and find my support with, um, you know, with my gender. And the it was night and day, the experience. I felt inspired. I felt energized, excited about what I was doing. I felt the support from the other women there. And I started recognizing, well, women definitely network differently than men. And I wanted to bring these two worlds together. And at the time, there were maybe a couple of other women's organizations in the Bay Area. They had chapters, but nobody was holding any meetings. And nobody was if they were holding meetings, they weren't really very interesting topics, not topics that I was interested in, and they weren't regular. So I started Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability to be a, a an educational and networking organization that would support women and men in their careers in this field, bring greater gender diversity across the spectrum, and, and also inspire women to be the natural leaders that they are. And so we have a lot of different aspects of the organization that are, some are more deliberate, like our mentorship program or our executive leadership program, and others are more subtle. And, and they all work in concert to, to give women that participate in these activities uh, the opportunity to realize the leader that is inside themselves. Because a lot of the people that come through our organization, they've never been given that opportunity. So 
Let's go back to something you said. How do men and women network differently? I'm very curious. <laughs> um, this is obviously my own personal observation, and obviously it's very highly generalized. Not everybody's like this. Those are my caveats. But um, uh, what I have found personally is that um, it kind of goes back to that, uh, the, this um, maybe like a hunter-gatherer mindset. Um, I don't know. You've, I'm sure you've been um, networking where certain people, they just sort of shove their um, business card in your face and they want to know all about you. And as soon as they realize you're not actually their target market, they try to get out of the conversation as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. So very targeted. And um, they're not actually interested in who you are or what makes you tick. Just sort of, you know, what do you do as a job and what access can you give me? And my experience, uh, especially early on, was um, that, um, that, you know, generally speaking, since I wasn't somebody's target uh, audience, I wasn't a, you know, I wasn't a CEO of a big tech company or that kind of thing, um, you know, they weren't interested in talking to me. Not, you know, never mind the fact that I have a massive network and I could probably connect them with multiple decision makers that they're looking to connect with, but they never took the time to get to know me. On the flip side, women in general tend to uh, want to get to know you first. They want to make sure they like you first, that they want to be your friend, that they there can be a friendship there. And if they recognize that, then they'll do business with you. So when I network with women, generally speaking, we do talk about business, obviously, and what we do with our, our careers and whatnot. And we make, we, we naturally make sure to talk about what makes, you know, sort of what our, uh, what, what our backgrounds are or, or what, um, what inspires us, things that are just generally uh, more social aspects of, of a conversation. And then we'll go have a meeting afterwards and talk business. Whereas I found you know, that when I networked with men, they wanted to talk business first. And then if there was business there, then they would have a coffee meeting with me a week later. You know, I really do understand what you're saying. I've actually experienced that myself. And I guess it speaks more to my feminine side because I found that at networking meetings, people are almost looking over your shoulder at the next person that they want to go meet once they realize that you can't, you, you know, if you can't help them. And mm -hmm. I personally lean more towards the social aspect of getting to know a person, spending time with a person, and then it's that no like and trust, I guess. And then eventually, if we can do business together, great. But if we can't, at least we have a, you know, a friendship or a strong acquaintanceship. Exactly. And you, I think personally, I teach a lot of networking. That's part of the stuff that we do at Women in Clean Tech. And um, people are going to change jobs multiple times throughout their career. So just because they don't have a direct connection to the, the, um, the, the action that you're looking to fulfill through the networking doesn't mean that they can't help you in the future or don't know people who can help you. Networking is all about relationships. And that's why I think women are actually really good at it. I would agree. Now, earlier you said women are natural leaders, but, they're, but they don't know it. Can you share some of these leadership traits that you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, generally speaking, again, generally speaking, because not everybody is so, not you know, gender is very fluid, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but when you think in a general way uh, between masculine and feminine um, leadership skills, typically the leadership skills that you hear about or that you experience, or people tell you, you got to be this way or that way, tend to be more masculine leadership skills. Um, you know, 
be com- be competitive or um, just make the decision and then tell people um, to carry it out. Where and so you know, I'm giving a talk tomorrow. Actually, I give this talk frequently called "Lead Like a Woman," and and in in general, what it teaches is it, it highlights these natural leadership skills um, that are more on the feminine spectrum, but everybody has and everybody should cultivate. And um, one of them is leading by consensus. So getting your team together and and having a conversation about what direction uh, or what decision ought to be made. Um, there's And some people might see it as weakness because you're not being a leader and telling people what to do. But actually, when you lead by consensus, uh, you have a more cohesive action that the whole team can carry through and feel inspired to commit to. Um, another would be uh, leading through empathy. So uh, the masculine trait of this leadership um, tool, if you will, would be uh, to deny emotions. Emotions have no place in business. Get over it. Do the job. Whereas a woman might feel compelled to, uh, or someone who's uh, more on the feminine spectrum, might feel compelled to um, address the emotionality at hand, to take the time to, uh, to be there for the person who is having the emotional moment, talk through it, uh, support them as they need, and then um, understand that once that person is through the experience, they will go get the job done. And I was watching one of your presentations. Can you speak to these two uh, bullet points that I took down here? One is domination as a leadership style, which I thought was very interesting. And the second is seventh generation thinking, which I love. Seventh generation oh, thinking. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, dominance as a leadership style is just, it's, it's sort of that, that competitiveness and um, uh, sort of forcing your will or your vision on the people that you're leading and the, the ecosystem at large. And, you know, there are times, I'm sure, when that tool is useful because every leadership um, skill it's a tool. It's a tool in the toolbox. And the most effective leaders, whether they're male or female, um, uh, or you know any gender in between, it's about recognizing the um, the challenge at hand or the moment at hand, and picking the right tool out of the toolbox that's going to be effective for that person in that moment. So I'm sure dominance as a leadership style you know, it, it has its uses. But in today's 21st, 21st century world, um, it's, it's not going to be as effective as, as some other, um, some other uh, tools that are, are more inclusive, are, are, I wouldn't say gentler, but are more um, collaborative. And the um, seven generation thinking? Yes. So this is um, this is the way the Native Americans viewed uh, uh, made decisions. So this is the way Native Americans made decisions. They just they they took the moment to think, how will my action today affect the seventh generation of my family? When you when you take that moment to consider that, and the spectrum of how uh, of 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 influence that your decision today will have on people seventh generations seven generations from now it changes 
the uh, motivation for the decision that you want to make or the action you want to make. And, and it, 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 it encourages you to think uh, in a broader sense on the consequences of your action today. You know, that resonates very deeply with me, but just for a moment, I want to play devil's advocate if you're okay with that. Um, sure. You know, Lisa Ann, in this day and time, who has time to think about seven generations? And second, I won't be here, so why should I care? <laughs> okay, great points. Um, I mean, if I can also kind of go down the, the nihilist um, uh, spectrum, you know, I mean, you could say, you know, in what is it, 500 billion years none of us none of this will exist anyway so what does it matter (laughs) Um, at the same time you are uh you know we are all lucky enough to be existing in this reality whether it's a matrix or a one-time opportunity or what you know whether we come back multiple times it doesn't matter you're here you're in this reality and you have the opportunity to make the best decisions for this reality. Uh, we are all connected and we are all together as one on this planet. We're all earthlings. And the only things that divide us are human constru- constructs. And so some of us won't be here. That's fine. You have an opportunity today to leave this place better than you found it. And um That's specifically actually why a lot of conservative politicians and um, uh, conservative leaders are starting to shift their thinking towards um, uh, being more sustainably minded in their political decisions because they recognize that they have a responsibility to their children and their grandchildren. And the other devil's advocate point you made was, um, who's got that kind of time? Well, Elon Musk has that kind of time. He's thinking seven generations from now. He wants to make us an interplanetary species. On the cynical spectrum, it's probably because this planet isn't going to be that great to live on. Um, from the inspirational perspective, he believes that we are a species that has the opportunity and the, uh, the intelligence to be uh, existing on multiple planets. And that is a multiple generational, that's a, that, that's, that is an activity that requires multiple generations. It does, it does. And staying on the inspirational perspective, because I'm aligned with you there, let's go back to the organization WCS. Tell me about, you know, some of the women that have come through that organization and how, you, how you've seen women's participation change in clean tech over the last 10 years. Thankfully, we are starting to see more and more women participating in um, conferences and uh, being speakers. So uh, the term mantle was very real 10 years ago. And it, uh, we, I feel really thankful for certain men that uh, took the, who, who were offered many speaking opportunities. And at some point they decided, I'm not going to be on a panel unless you have at least one woman on it, and that person, that woman, should not be the moderator, because moderators are facilitators of conversation. They are not held up as experts in their own right, and so we wanted. So they wanted to move the industry away from just, oh, we need a woman on the panel. Let's make her the moderator. That doesn't cut it. So I feel really thankful that we had a series of men um, who who demanded this of the panels that um, they were invited to speak on, and over the course of 
these past 10 years, I'm really thankful to see that we see more and more women showing up, more and more and more women speaking, giving keynotes, and, um, and also being supported on the, uh, the entrepreneurship side. You're seeing more and more female entrepreneurs within our space, which is uh, very uh, inspiring. I like to think that WCS, you know, helped play a little bit of a hand in that. Uh, I do know um, there's several uh, women who have come through the organization who, like, we started a uh, we started doing WCS talks, which is a TED style event that uh, Google hosts every year uh, in 2014. And the first one we did, um, the we just invited some of our our female colleagues who we thought would give great give great talks and they, you know, they had some prominence in their field. And the feedback I got from at least two of them was that A, they had never been asked to give a talk on their experience in as being a woman in the space and how that related to their industry and and sort of share their story. And through that experience, they realized what their voice was and and the the message that they wanted to share with the industry at large. And they went back to their marketing teams at their companies and said, I want to speak more. Put me on these panels. And they hadn't insisted that it's insisted on that before because they actually hadn't had the opportunity to speak in a way that was genuine to to them in their voice. I, I feel I feel very fortunate to have um, helped facilitate that. At the same time, what we know about um, the the roles that women aspire to, they are the ones that they see other women being successful in. So it's important for us to highlight women and show them being successful as a way of encouraging other women to follow in their footsteps. We have had countless women come through our organization, start as volunteers, move up onto the board, and then um, uh, find their dream job. Uh, one woman, um, she came through, she, she moved to the Bay Area, and she was, previously she worked on oil rigs as an engineer. And she would be the, the only female on an oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico for months on end. And she has some incredible stories about what that experience was like. So she came to the Bay Area. She wanted to move out of that um, industry into clean tech, didn't quite know where to start, and started showing up at some of our events. She became um, a board member and then um, shifted between a couple of committees over the years as she sort of, you know, found uh, what inspired her and uh, has been fundamental in um, establishing our membership program over the years. And then through the networking that WCS provided, she found her dream job in business development for um, a, a non, a, an NGO organization that has an office in Palo Alto. And she feels so fortunate um, that we were able to provide this conduit for her to, to, to meet the people who could give her that dream job. And we have multiple stories like that. I mean, there's there's only a handful that I know, and um, and and I know that there's more that we don't know. That's that's very amazing. Can you speak briefly to the mentorship program? Absolutely. So we have a uh, mentorship program that we've been running for about four years now, and it is oversubscribed every year. And what we do is we source mentors from the uh, industry. And then uh, our members apply to be a part of the program. And it's a six-week program. 
and it has uh, a curriculum. There's a handbook and there's a, a process to encourage the mentors to and mentees to meet and go over certain things in the handbook at each meeting, uh, in addition to just the general um uh, conversations that they might have on their own as a mentor and mentee. And we do this once a year. And, and um, the, the output of that is that, you know, after six weeks, it's not as if you don't ever talk to your mentor anymore. These are, these become long-term relationships because we do take the time to match up the expertise of the mentor with the, um, the, desires of the mentee to move in a certain direction. Some of our mentees are right out of university. Others have established careers, but they want to move into the clean tech space. So they're looking for someone who, who can, you know, help show them the way there. And so there's a variety of different reasons why people are looking for a mentor. The other thing I thought I really like about the, the mentorship program is that I, I had, I had no hand in crafting it. So it's an example of this hive mind that, the board and all the volunteers at Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability have. We all know what our mission is. We know what the vision is that we want for our organization and the in the community at large. And when people have an idea of a program or an initiative that they want to create, the or the organization supports them in that. And we don't have to babysit them the entire time to make sure they're doing it right. Um, we trust them to to make the right decisions and to be the leaders that we know that they are to create the program that they envision and uh and so um you know they they did a fantastic job at building that that program and it is self-sustaining so the people you have your um you have new board member new volunteers that come in and learn the ropes and then the older volunteers will graduate out of running the or uh the the, the program after a couple of years. So it's self-sustaining. And it's, it's just one example of this, this, the, the way the organization has evolved to facilitate and support the natural leadership skills that these amazing women have when they, but they haven't been given the opportunity to express them or, or use them. I love the hive mind mentality any plans to expand the uh, organization nationally? Oh, yes. Well, I mean, COVID really um, forced our hand there. So we always thought, oh, we can't go, we can't expand broadly. We can't expand internationally. It's just too much of a lift. You know, how do we do virtual? Well, then COVID happened. And so we had to do virtual. So we embraced that opportunity and we went international. So we have... Um, we have a virtual membership option now, and we have paying members from seven different countries, uh, 26 states within the United States. And, and we also have the Los Angeles chapter, which we established before COVID hit. And, and then we plan on establishing more chapters over time as the organization can support them. I mean, we're an all-volunteer organization, so we, we are mindful that um, people have day jobs and they have lives. And, you know, burnout is a real thing and we don't want that. We want people to feel inspired and, and, and have fun with our community. And, uh, and so we will grow to these other chapters within um, the country, you know, as, as the ecosystem supports it. It sounds wonderful. You know, I'm going to switch gears here to the crux of our conversation, which is the why behind what you do. You mentioned 10 years with WCS. And then prior to that, 
you started Technica Communications, but you started reporting, you said, on the environment, I believe, about 20 years ago. What mm -hmm. drew you to that kind of reporting, and what motivates you, what keeps you going in this particular sector? Well, um, honestly, I think it goes back to those, you know, early camping trips with my, my, my dad, who was an Eagle Scout, and, you know, you know, leave the place better than you found it. Um, we all have an opportunity to do that. Now, it doesn't have to be in um, sustainability. You can leave the world better than you found it in any number of ways. My, um, my commitment to the planet, uh, you know, came about because I recognized that she, she doesn't have much of a voice. And I could, I could help be that voice and that catalyst for change. And, and, I, and I have, you know, certain skills that I could utilize towards that. Um, and so I, you know, started out with um, using my theater uh, degree and my, my nonprofit uh, master's degree to do, you know, uh, nonprofit journalism. And then, and then from there, supporting clean energy startups to get the exposure that they need to get the funding and the partners that they need to grow to commercialize. And then from, you know, and then, and then with women in clean tech, it just evolved even more. Uh, when I recognized that there was a, a big, um, there was a dearth of women showing up in the industry. We knew they were there, uh, but they, they weren't visible. So bringing them out uh, into, into the light uh, so that they could meet each other and, and support each other. So that's why, I mean, that's why I do what I do. I don't have any children. Um, I made that conscious choice years and years and years ago. So WCS and um, Technica, my, my company, these are my children. And the legacy that I get to leave is, 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 is through these organizations um, and inspiring the, the communities at large that are a part of these organizations to, to go out and, and make the world a better place. Because honestly, I feel like, you know, anybody can be, how do I say, okay, I'm going to get a little philosophical on you. Please do. But you know. Anybody, anybody's willing to live their life as they see fit. Because honestly, at the end of the day, it's all just a game. And, and, and you get a chance to just do what you feel is appropriate for your life. And, and I have no judgment, right? Um, and, but at the same time, if it's a game, then you can go do whatever you want. So why not do something big? Why not do something great? And, and if life's just a game, you play video, if you play video games, you fail a lot. That doesn't mean you quit. It doesn't mean you act conservatively so that you're not going to die in the game. You just go do what you do. You learn. You do better the next time. And you continue striving. Um, and at the same time, in like these you know, multiplayer games, I'm kind of a gamer. So if you haven't <laughs> guessed already, that's why I have this sort of mindset. Um, you know, you have, your, you have your players and you have your NPCs. And I think people get a chance to be a player in the game and not a bystander. Because honestly, I mean, it's what your people are welcome to. You're, anybody can do whatever they want with their life. I'm not making that kind of judgment. But what I am saying is, if you have the opportunity, why not, why not be an active player? Why not be an active player? Well, let's continue on the philosophical road. What's the most valuable lesson you've learned about yourself on your journey? Hmm. Um, wow. 
the most valuable lesson I have learned about myself on this journey. Uh, for me, that it is okay to fail and it's okay to make mistakes. And that people are not going to uh, hate me for it or uh, write me off for it. Um, I came I came from an upbringing where, you know, perfection was highly valued. And, and so I really strived for that. Um, uh, because if I'm, if I'm perfect, then I'm lovable. Right. And, and so through this experience of, of growing WCS and growing Technica and just being an entrepreneur, you know, you are going to make mistakes along the way. And those mistakes are learning opportunities. You learn so much from mistakes. And, um, and so being, so the lesson is, you know, forgiving myself for making mistakes and understanding that people aren't going to write me off for it. Sounds like a gamer attitude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, a lot of people in, especially a lot of the people that I meet, um, I shouldn't say a lot, but a common theme um, of some of the people that I meet uh, through women in clean tech and sustainability is a fear of failure because they, um, they want so desperately to, to get somewhere. And um, there's, there, we all have an opportunity to fail forward, if you will. What? Because failure gives you, gives you data, gives you information. You can make a better decision next time. Well, it sounds like you do a lot of counseling as part of the organization too. I, yeah, I, I, I try. I, I, um, I try to be subtle about it. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, people have to want to hear the advice, right? You want to make sure you have an invitation. I know. I just don't want to go around telling people how to be. Because again, anybody's allowed to be any way they want. Right. So let's move into the future. It's 2030. You have a magic wand. Where do you see, what does the future hold for the women in clean tech and sustainability organization? Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. My magic wand would be, we have a well-funded endowment that will maintain the organization for generations. Uh, we are, uh, we have chapters on every continent and we are having um, uh, various programs like an entrepreneurship program, which we're developing now and uh, flourishing chapters of, of, of communities that are supporting each other. And, um, You know, maybe we're doing um, some prominent award uh, recognitions uh, for all types of genders in the space. And, you know, by 2030, I like to think that um, the concept of, of sustainability, uh, clean energy, um, the energy transition, if you will, I'd like to think that by 2030, these concepts are so naturally ingrained into industry that we don't need an organization like WCS. Uh, but at the same time, I'd still like it to be, to be broadly growing and, and thriving. Maybe we'll even have a chapter on Mars. <laughs> well, I'm a big believer in bringing things to reality. You said a well-funded endowment. Can you give me a number? Oh man, I you know we're, um, we're magic wanding here, Lisa. And we are magic wanding. So you know, I think you know a million dollars isn't even that much money anymore. So no, it's not. I think you know twenty million, thirty million dollar endowment would be uh, a, a robust amount of uh, funding that the in, the organization could um, could thrive on just on interest alone. I think 
20, 30, and 30 million has a nice ring to it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so there's your goal, right? Here you go. That's right. 30 million by 2030. We could do that. Absolutely. In this environment, there's. I heard uh-huh. today there's going to be $40 trillion moving in this in this direction. Wow. So I think the universe can carve out, as you said, you're representing her, right? You're, and I want to thank That's you for right. giving her a voice. So I'm sure that she'll be able to carve out $30 million from $40 trillion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's kind of the magic that we find within Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability. And it's it's a universal magic. So when you get a bunch of people together um, uh, working towards the same goal, having that hive mind, magic does happen. People show up with the agency to be able to provide the organization with what it needs. Um, and we find within the organization, if we just voice what we need, within a couple of weeks to a month or so, it shows up. So I'm looking for that so you, uh, new new target on your website now. That's right. <laughs> It'll come. It'll be there. Absolutely. That's a good challenge. I'll, and um, and I think I think it'd be a really good exercise uh, for the community at large because a lot of the women in in our organization they've never asked for money before. They've never done sales, and and the concept of a five thousand dollar sponsorship and asking someone for that amount of money is new. Mm-hmm. And sometimes things that are new are scary. So we have an entire program for our board that we teach them how to do um, development work, which is quote unquote sales. And sales is not a four letter word. And it's very empowering for them to get that first sale. And then, you know, what we find is that um, over the years, these ladies will set their own targets for themselves. You know, I'm going to go for $10,000 in sponsorship, $20,000 in sponsorship, whatever it is. And, um, and they're picking numbers that feel uncomfortable for them because they want to stretch themselves. Well, I think it's doable. So I think so last too. question, last question, and you gave some advice earlier when you said it's okay to fail. But if you could share some advice or words of wisdom, it could be professional or personal with the audience, what would it be? Well, so I'll go back to the advice that my mother gave me, and I still live by it to this day, which is, I can't never did anything until I can came along. And the concept there is your ability to create the world you want to see be it a small world or a big world, the changes that you want to see in this reality start with your belief that they can exist and that you can make them happen. Everything else is just details. I like that a lot. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I look forward to seeing the goal of 30 million by 2030 come to fruition and catching up with you again soon. Wonderful. Maybe we'll we'll catch up again when we've got that 30 million. Hopefully before that. Yeah, okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Lisanne. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.